0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day here on this Friday. Hard to believe the week is coming to a close. It's August 12th, and it is the last day of the 35th Annual Ace Ethanol Conference going on here in Omaha, Nebraska. I am still on location, still filling my brain with facts and excitement about the ethanol industry. We're going to have a couple of stories from the conference today. We're going to hear from B.J. Johnson, co-founder and CEO of Clear Flame Engine Technologies, about the work they have been doing to make diesel engines burn ethanol to help keep freight and tractors and industrial equipment moving across this country. And in segment three, we're gonna check in with Brian Jennings. He's the CEO here of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Put on this conference, we're gonna reflect on the state of the ethanol industry today and what that Inflation Reduction Act could mean for the biofuel space here as that moves towards a vote in the House of Representatives. And we're going to close the show with our friend Chris Neidert of Trelleborg Wheel Systems and Matt Youngman of the Farm Progress Show. We're looking ahead to Farm Progress, getting close end of this month, August 30th, 31st and September 1st. We're going to be broadcasting live from the Trelleborg booth each day, so do stay tuned. We'll have that conversation coming at the end of the show. But before we get there, one thing that has come up repeatedly in the conversations here at the conference is the introduction of more consumers to ethanol over this past year that then we've seen in quite some time in one place where we have seen consumers just move towards ethanol in particular E85 in a big way. Believe it or not, folks, it's California. Joining me here to start today's show is Jeff Wilkerson. He's the government policy and regulatory affairs director at Pearson fuels. And Jeff, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. Pearson fuels mm-hmm. a unique
2: company out there in California. Give us your elevator pitch, Jeff. What is Pearson Fuels? So we started in 2002. Uh, We had an actual retail station that we started doing alternative fuels with. But since then, we've grown into California's largest E85 distributor. And if you're in California and you're the largest, you're probably the largest in the country. Uh, We did around 50 million gallons of E85 last year. The state as a whole did 62 and a half. And we think we're on track as a state to hit well over 80 million gallons this year of E85. We have around 275 retail sites that we work with. No brick and mortar retail presence. We just work with the retailer to install the E85 infrastructure.
0: So I can roll up to an an independent fuel station. It Mm -hmm. could be branded
2: whoever, Mm -hmm. and then I'll see a Pearson E85 pump off to the side. Is that kind of how it works? It depends. Sometimes it's under the canopy. Sometimes it's outside the canopy. Usually you'll see our price sign uh just like a walkway sign uh, on the side uh, of the station and that's it that's all there is for advertising there sometimes it'll be on the price sign uh, but we also have a pretty loyal following on our social media channels and then through our social media or through our mobile app uh, where you can find out where the stations are and you can find out where the prices are in real time So let's talk about those prices because Mm -hmm. this past year you moved a lot of e85 and it was substantially cheaper
0: than regular fuel in california jeff bring our listeners who aren't in california the story
2: of last year's fuel prices there in that state if you're on twitter or instagram you might have seen the pictures but these were incredible spreads for us. We had record numbers in July and June uh, and we saw stations. We had one station in LA, LA that did over 100,000 gallons of E85, which is a monster number. Uh, we probably see in the Midwest stations that do maybe three to 4,000 gallons a month. This one did 100,000 gallons a month. Um, but. The spread out there between E85 and regular, so there's nothing in between E10 and E85 in California. The spread we saw was usually around 60% and so on a dollar basis that's probably two bucks two and a half bucks I showed a picture yesterday where uh, E85 was three dollars cheaper than premium it's not that's not unusual right that's that was the norm this summer because of where prices were
0: Jeff as you look out we're seeing fuel prices maybe moderate a little bit here at the retail level are you concerned about E85 volumes looking at next year if prices do moderate some
2: We still think we're in a really good spot. You know, margins were so strong for retailers uh, that we were moving a lot, and uh, you know, it's tough to supply that much ethanol to the market with the supply chain challenges that we've had and with the railroad issues that we've seen with things moving west. Um, Our team has done a phenomenal job making sure these stations don't run out, making sure that the supply is there, the customers can always get it. So as we look out to the end of the year, I think we're still in good shape you know we know that there's going to be a dip towards the end of the year in travel anyway in november december what i would say is we're looking at a record year even with the way we entered 2022 if you remember back we had spreads that were almost inverted to end last year and to come into this year and so uh you know it could have been a monster year if we wouldn't have seen that spread inverted at the beginning
0: how has consumer reaction been I think a lot of us when we hear of California we think the big push for electrification Mm -hmm. how have they reacted to affordably priced liquid fuels
2: certainly the regulators and the governor's office is focused on EVs I mentioned yesterday the governor's budget for the next fiscal year has a record 10 billion dollars for EV and EV infrastructure that's a huge amount of cash right it's it's far and away really what we see on the national level with the IRA um but If you focus too much on EVs, you lose sight of other fuels that might be able to help you in your decarbonization goals. So uh, they want to go all the way. They want to go to these zero emission vehicles as they call them with no tailpipe. We think that uh, E85 produced from cellulosic ethanol mixed with renewable naphtha, which is something we're doing now. And renewable naphtha is a byproduct of renewable diesel production. Uh, When you mix those two, you completely erase any gasoline in the gallon. And so that's a must in California for us. It has to be a fully renewable gallon. Once we do that, uh, if you mix in carbon capture, if you can account for carbon storage at the farm, right, as a sink, then you can get to net zero. You can get below net zero, and we think that regulators should pay attention to that as a potential option. We know that not everyone in California can afford an electric car. There was data in 2019 that showed the median income for an EV buyer was $190,000. So the subsidies that they're going to have to put out to get everyone in an EV and then to get a charger it's going to be astronomical.
0: And that's a great point. The infrastructure for EVs is still 10 years away. The infrastructure for liquid fuels, ethanol in particular, exists today. Jeff, are retailers excited to continue adding E85 here as you look out to the end of this year and next
2: year? Well, I'll give you an idea. We're gonna add about 50 stations this year, okay? So we're on track to add a couple every month, which is really impressive. if we would have converted all of the locations that we had through the usda's higher blends infrastructure incentive program we would have been we would have added 150 stations okay so there are some issues at the state level getting permitting and environmental reviews done but we have the supply chain uh, challenges in california that have really challenged us uh, to get tanks to get equipment uh it's not the retailers right the retailers are interested in moving a product the price sign or the 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 advantage that you can have on the street by advertising e85 that brings in a new customer who can spend money in the store and and spend some extra dollars. Absolutely, a
0: $3 discount is something else. Hard to ignore. It is indeed, we'll be watching for future success of E85 out there in California, wishing you the best, Jeff, to get that product moved there on the coast. Thank you, Mike, appreciate it. And folks, stick around, we're gonna talk to BJ Johnson, co-founder and CEO of Clear Flame Engines, when AOA returns here at the ACE ethanol conference in Omaha. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up.
3: We gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support, to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers. Join us as we light the night for a loved one. Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we light the night. Find your local event at lightthenight.org. That's lightthenight.org.
0: On the first Wednesday of every month, the National Corn Growers brings us the monthly grind here on AOA, looking at aspects of corn demand. In August, we talked about the partnership between corn and cattle with Kate Maher of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association.
3: We are really fortunate to have a great partnership with the National Corn Growers Association. We work together to bring a lot of information to producers, latest technology information to make all of us better and, and keep that demand, keep that product flowing to meet that demand that's, that's around the globe. You know, we export a lot of corn through beef. Um, that's really important. Uh, we are fortunate, again, to partner partner with NCGA on a series that we've been doing on Cattlemen to Cattlemen. Uh, we've just got such a great story to tell together. started at the Seed Yard in Nebraska talking about sustainability practices and, and corn production and beef production, and they just go hand in hand. That goes on to the next, next step um, where we're producing that really amazing grain-fed beef.
0: Tune in on Wednesday, September 7th for the next edition of the Monthly Grind from our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
1: Keeping farmers and ranchers informed, AOA.
0: Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, welcome back to Agriculture of America here in Omaha at the ACE Conference, the 35th Annual, talking about ethanol and the exciting things that ethanol has in store for it going forward. One of the most exciting things, and I've talked about it here on the program before. In fact, we have interviewed this inventor on the program before. It's the Clear Flame Engines. The idea of using ethanol in a diesel engine who that's exciting joining me today to talk about it is co-founder and ceo of clearflame bj johnson bj thanks for joining me today thank you for having me mike always a pleasure so you are here you're talking to ace you've got a panel in the morning what are you guys talking about here at your panel
5: the standard thesis for Clear Flame that there are a lot of new opportunities for low-carbon fuels like ethanol, particularly in those hard-to-electrify sectors like trucks, tractors, and gensets. So the core thesis of how do we move beyond the passenger cars that we use it in today to a fundamentally
0: harder-to-decarbonize sector. Indeed, of that sector that burns diesel. So BJ, Clear Flame founded around basically your dissertation for your PhD using ethanol in diesel engines. How's it work?
5: At its heart, it's, it's really as simple as if you get it hot enough, anything burns. The, the reason you use diesel fuel in a diesel engine is that it, might, uh, it likes to ignite. Ethanol being high octane actually means it's hard to ignite, hard to use in a diesel engine. But we modify the temperatures in the engine, modify the fuel injection systems to be able to handle ethanol. Uh, and once you can get it to burn in the diesel cycle, you will maintain all of those performance benefits that has led the diesel engine and diesel fuel to dominate the applications it has.
0: So this is incredible. So you're gonna be taking basically one, almost 100% ethanol, burning it in a diesel engine. What type of power difference do you see ethanol versus diesel?
5: So there's no difference in power, there's no difference in torque, there's no difference in efficiency. Uh, ethanol does have a lower energy density than diesel, so the miles per gallon will change. But when Clear Flame quotes to our customers, just like you have to do with E85, you communicate on a, on a dollars per diesel gallon equivalent or, or gasoline gallon equivalent difference, and ethanol is significantly cheaper there. And that was true before diesel prices have done what they've done. So even if miles per gallon go down a little bit, dollars per mile go down. And when you can combine that without sacrificing performance, Uh, it's an easy win,
0: not even talking about any of its sustainability benefits. Right. And those sustainability benefits are Legion, BJ, decarbonization, reducing the carbon intensity of corn, reducing the carbon intensity of ethanol. All of those have been hot topics here this week. How does Clear Flame combine these things to take it to the next step in the industrial uses for for diesel engines?
5: You know, I think that's really something Clear Flame can't take credit for. We are a fundamentally fuel agnostic solution, and we chose ethanol because of the progress that it's made. You know there's that narrative out there that that you know ethanol is as bad as gasoline and you know that might have been earned from 20 years ago when plants weren't very efficient but it's 45 50% better than diesel today. It's actually lower in carbon than an EV. And so all we do is take a fuel that has been decarbonizing through its own innovation and make it compatible with a sector where it hasn't been able to be used
0: before. It's incredible. And so this was an idea you had 2017 I believe clear flame kind of got rolling and now here we are, BJ is this science fiction or is this happening? Are we seeing the clear flame engines running today?
5: It is absolutely happening. And that's a transition that we've really hit uh, really since the time we last spoke. You know, that would have been when our first trucks were first rolling on the road. We've already had those in the hands of customers at this point. Um, We're not just trucks as well. We have it moving into power generators. We have pilots starting with utility customers um, later this month, maybe early September.
0: Thinking of, of portable power generation for utility scale. Is that where their minds are?
5: I think eventually we can get there. I think initially it's actually going to be the the diesel gensets that are backup power everywhere including in the hotel we're sitting in right now. And that's an asset that has to be around for emergency purposes, but because it's so dirty, it has no other economic economic value. If you can get that asset to run on ethanol, sure it's still an emergency backup generator, but if you have to turn it on for peak shaving or demand response or grid respo- grid res- uh, grid
0: support, you can do it because of its its environmental attributes. That's fascinating. That's a whole use case I'd never considered. And of course, you're using a fuel made from corn. I know you've got some some inroads that you could be planting and harvesting that corn with a clear flame engine.
5: Absolutely. So, so John Deere was an investor in ClearFlame Series A. Um, we have one of their engines up and running on, on ethanol right now. We're working on getting packaged that for a, a field demonstration, ho- hopefully around Q one of next year. Um, but you know, you mentioned earlier the the innovation that the ethanol sector has been making. And as I said, ClearFlame can't take credit for what has happened. But I'm hoping we can be a part of the future decarbonization by taking the fossil inputs of diesel out of the planting, the harvesting, the transportation everything diesel, the role diesel plays in agriculture today.
0: Yeah, that would be a huge, it would be a fundamental shift. BJ, I want to come back to these engines practicing in the real world out there, running loads up and down the highways. You've had several months of experience. What have you heard back so far? What's been the feedback and what refinements do you see coming down the line?
5: Uh, Yeah, I mean, the the first and most telling feedback is that people get in it and drive and shrug and say, it drives like a diesel truck, wow. <laughs> which is is the point, right? And this is a, a sector that is is very conservative for, for good reason. It operates on, on single digit margin. It's a very hard job. And they just want to get the performance they expect out of their vehicle. And people think, oh, OK, I'm getting in an alternative fuel somethings, my life's going to become a hassle for this sustainability goal. But no, it's the same performance, the same experience, lower cost, lower carbon. There's something for everyone on that. I think there's additional refinement to be done. Um, you know we have it in the hands of fleets right now so that we can get feedback and and make it as simple to adopt from the customer perspective and we're still doing our regulatory approval through epa um, but all those things are very much on track like we expected
0: bj i understand recently you had the chance to participate in a roundtable discussion with secretary of energy jennifer granholm and i'm curious i've heard several times comments made here at the conference that it almost sounds like federal or perhaps california policymakers are throwing all liquid fuels out with gasoline and diesel, then they want to focus on EVs. Did you get that sense in your roundtable conversation with her?
5: Um, I I definitely did not. I I do think the secretary, and really the administration, sees the roles that liquid fuels have to play more broadly. In fact, I would actually point to, in in President Biden's 2050 Climate Action Plan, how you would get the United States to net zero by 2050, um, they're banking on a gigaton of CO2 reduction from the use of low-carbon fuels, which is actually more than they're banking on with EV and hydrogen. And that's not to pick winners and losers, it's an acknowledgement of reality. Now, to your point, I think um, there's a bit of shiny object syndrome that's out there around EVs. I don't mean that as a knock on them, they have their merits. Um, But I think the, the rhetorical noise in that direction is a lot louder than I think the fundamental reality. And I think most people in the administration and in California and all the other areas that have been challenging for the ethanol sector, I think people do get that. And I think really the one thing they need is Technologies like ClearFlame. People at the conference here to be telling more of a forward-looking, pr- progressive story about what ethanol can be and its decarbonization potential—not um, not just the gasoline
0: bling that it's been in the past. Are you hearing a lot of questions from industrial users of diesel, going, "Hey, we're not going to go electric. We need something of a bridge. ClearFlame looks to be that solution."
5: Yeah, it's it's a very common theme. You know, the fleets that come and test our trucks, they they know where electric works in their solution. Um, but they know where it doesn't and they're looking for an alternative. We saw this uh, at ACT Expo, Advanced Clean T- Transportation, a big clean truck conference in, in Long Beach. We had a truck parked right out front. People came by and said, hey, cool looking truck because it was the best looking truck there. Uh, but then they would go on the show floor, see the EV, see the hydrogen and come back out and be like, you're the only one offering me a solution that uses liquid fuels. And I'm thinking that's probably 80 percent of my fleet. So there's a massive opportunity out there. And. These people want to do something about sustainability. This is no longer just a public sector driven movement. Um, but they just need a solution that allows them to protect their margin and get their jobs done. But they're trying to do the right thing, and Clear Flame is that opportunity for them.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a whole group of people who want to do right by the environment if it makes sense for their business. And here we've got a tool that might help more folks do that. BJ, looking out 5, 10, 15 years on the regulatory front, is there anything Clear Flame needs to see changed policy-wise in order to go mainstream? Um, you
5: okay. know, I, I think the, the big policy shift, I mean, the RFS, Renewable Fuel Standard, has done a, a great job getting ethanol off. The ground to date, um, you know, that was a that was a, a a plan that was meant to spur innovation in the sector, and that's happened. I would love to see that pivot towards something that is more, you know, carbon accounting based, something that looks more like a low carbon fuel standard at a, a national level, because we no longer need something like an RFS to incentivize ethanol volumes. In fact, if we just ethanol's carbon benefits, its demand would be far be- beyond what is mandated today, and. Just allowing standard market competitiveness in a, in a, with a, a mild carbon price, I think, is absolutely the solution to, to drive innovation. And we know we can do that in a way that's not really upsetting fuel prices or anything else. It's really win-win for the entire market and, and frankly, our planet.
0: It is. It's going to be an exciting future as we see ethanol move into this next chapter. BJ Johnson, co-founder, CEO of Clear Flame Engines. BJ, where can our listeners learn more about Clear Flame?
5: You can look at our website at www.clearflame.com. Uh, you can follow myself and my co-founder Julie on both Twitter and LinkedIn, as well as Clear Flame on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, and I just want to say thank you to all the listeners. Uh, the agriculture community has been one of our biggest supporters from day one. Um, and we're excited to be really giving back at this point by showing that, that, that bet that the early bet that the sector
0: placed on us is is turning into reality. Thank you, BJ, for joining us today. And folks, stay tuned. We're gonna check in with Brian Jennings, CEO of the ACE Foundation, American Coalition for Ethanol here in just a moment. So stick around, more AOA coming up shortly. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up.
3: It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The Parkinson's Foundation
6: knows that the disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed, it affects everyone who supports
4: and helps care for them. If you or someone you know is living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement, we understand that it can be difficult to know where to find help.
3: If you have questions, the Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight.
4: We can help you understand the disease, help you find expert care and local support, give you tips for living a better life, and share the latest research. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org or call 1-800-473-4636. That's
6: 1-800-473-4636. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better Better lives together.
1: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at the grain and oil seed trade mixed action with wheat under a bit of pressure here while the row crops are cautiously mixed to slightly higher ahead of the USDA August WASDE report. That comes out at 11 a.m. Central Time. A few areas to watch with the report courted soybean yields nationwide. Will there be changes there? Could we see changes in Anchorage following USDA's resurvey of Minnesota and the Dakotas? We expect some changes. We just wonder how much of a change we'll see. Notable cuts in European corn production are also possible and potentially significant adjustments in Russian wheat and or export estimates. Now there's also a chance we could see a surprise in the U.S. spring wheat production estimate after crop ratings tumbled in South Dakota on Monday during the active harvest period but barring any surprises today The trade will digest the numbers and start to shift its focus back to weather as well as some of the industry crop tours that are on the horizon. Livestock trade mostly mixed to lower today in quiet action, and we expect quiet and choppy trade in livestock. Crude oil down 213, a barrel 92.21. In the grain, September quarter up three quarters at 6.30. December up two and a quarter at 6.30. Soybean September up two and a half, 15.22 at three quarters. November up eight and a quarter, 14.56 and three quarters. September bean meal up 8.30 a ton, 4.6480. Bean oil, September up 5.6935. Chicago wheat, September down 16 at a quarter, 794 and a half. September KC wheat down 19 to three quarters, 869 and a half. Spring wheat, September 13 at a quarter lower, 908 and a half. Live cattle for August down 22, 140, 37. August feeder cattle up 25, 180, 20. August hogs, final day of that contract, down five right now, 122, 35. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen.
3: Hey, Dad.
7: public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Information farmers and ranchers need to
0: know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. I am in Omaha here for the ACE Ethanol Conference, the 35th Annual And joining me to talk about the conference and the topics under discussion here in Omaha is Brian Jennings, the CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian, thanks so much for putting on this event. How are you feeling here uh, after it's been going on for a couple of days? Well, thank you, Mike, mostly for being here. I'm feeling great. You know,
8: we had our board meeting, an annual meeting yesterday, elected some new board directors really good turnout. I think one of our strongest turnouts in some time. And so um, feeling good. and, And I know the topics are important to our members and so happy to
0: give them an opportunity to talk about the important topics. You know, you mentioned the size of the crowd, Brian, and I am impressed with the crowd that's here and the enthusiasm. Of the audience here in 2022, it seems like the ethanol industry has a bit of wind under its wings this year.
8: You know, I used that same um, analogy yesterday. I do think we do have some wind at our back or under our wings. The price advantage that ethanol brings to the table is certainly something that has helped propel E15 and E85 interest this summer. It's absolutely one of the reasons why the Biden administration allowed temporarily uh, to have E15 sold during. Uh, during the summer months in conventional gasoline areas. And some of these new climate discussions and climate provisions I know can cause some some understandable angst with farmers in rural America, but there also are some opportunities um, in that in those discussions as well, if we can seize upon them. And so I think the industry, after a couple of years of you know very challenging, difficult times, is feeling is feeling better.
0: And when you think about those opportunities that are out there, Brian, that's been a lot of the focus here of the conference so far this year. The theme is intensity. Why did you guys pick that theme?
8: Yeah, a little, a little double meaning, of course. Um, the obvious one is carbon intensity is such a hot topic right now. Um, ethanol producers are investing in technologies and frankly have been mike for some time that help them become more efficient help them reduce their carbon score um, and those lower carbon intensity scores are going to give them a leg up in certain marketplaces whether that's on the west coast of this country or frankly as they're looking to export um and then of course we think intensity is something that we always need to bring to the table Uh, the ethanol industry is uh, I like to say small but mighty Um, you know we've got to punch above our weight because we're fighting for market share ultimately with some pretty powerful forces that don't want to cede any more market share to us and so it's always it's always good to try to rally the troops a bit and help them understand
0: Uh, we can't really take a break folks we've always got to bring it That is the truth. And ethanol has been bringing it in 2022. Brian, how has the industry performed this year in terms of volumes moved and price margins there for producers? You know,
8: really strong. And I think part of the reason this year has been strong is, frankly, we ended 2021 in an incredibly strong position, Mike. We saw some of the most robust profit margins um, since about the 2014 time frame. And so that had a lot to do with the fact that we were coming out of the pandemic, that demand was up considerably. Uh, Of course, there was money circulating in the economy because Congress was pumping a lot of money into the economy. And so people were getting out there and driving. And then ethanol had and continues to this day uh, to have that price advantage relative to gasoline. And so um, we began, I'd like to sort of start with the fourth quarter of last year. We began an incredibly strong place. Um, this year, we've seen the the uh, you know ethanol production ramp up. Certainly, there are ebbs and flows in terms of, of production, but uh, goodness gracious, I think we're producing at an annualized rate of, of just shy of 16 billion gallons. Demand isn't where we need it to be, though, right? Because the use of ethanol domestically is still hovering around that 14 billion gallon mark. And so we've got some work uh, cut out for us to, to deal deal with that supply-demand imbalance domestically, um, but we've got some great opportunities to export some product as well. And so uh, the demand side of the equation is is what we're concerned about and and focused on. Um, These producers, when the market signals are right, they're going to crank
0: the product out. I don't have any doubts about that. That's the truth. And, you know, you mentioned those strong profit margins you were seeing in 2021 and on through this year. And we talk about the ethanol industry. Of course, we're talking liquid fuel, right? The ethanol. But that's only a part of what this industry produces. You've got so many co-products coming out the back end of ethanol the margins that you were seeing, was it based on ethanol or was it also co-products oh, performing?
8: Great question, Mike. I mean, the corn oil market has been hot. And so most ethanol producers today certainly have for some time had the technology in place to extract or spin off that corn oil. And the the market for that oil is really taken off. And so, no, the profit margins cannot be attributed, attributed entirely to what we see in the ethanol market whatsoever. While that's been important, um, certainly corn oil, I think, has been the primary driver of some of that co-product profit uh, margin. And then, you know, distillers continues to do really well. Um, it's, it's a great nutritious feed product. I think we're finding ways to, to produce it in a more consistent way, which is really important to the livestock sector. And so uh, th- that plays a big role as
0: well. On that corn oil, I mean, that is, as you mentioned, it's been ethanol plants have been pulling corn oil off for a while. What has changed in that market to make it hot in 2022? Is it going into biodiesel? It's going into biodiesel. It's it's uh,
8: it's lifted also by just the uh, the zest that is in the renewable diesel marketplace, of course, and the fact that California's low carbon fuel standard um, maybe uh, you know tilts the scale a bit in favor of uh, of renewable diesel and some of these other uh, products that can go into t- to that marketplace, and so that helps sort of lift corn oil. oil Oil prices, excuse me, as well, but um, it's it's carbon intensity. It's it's these low
0: carbon fuel markets primarily. Speaking of those low carbon fuel markets, Brian, you mentioned we've got to get that demand to continue to grow for ethanol. The price is there, but it's the access challenge. What do you think about these low carbon fuel standards? California's the West Coast. Do you see them spreading?
8: I do, and I hope they do, but not exactly what we see in California. You know, we we talk. In, in generally positive terms about the California low carbon fuel standard, but when you start peeling back the layers, there are some underlying biases in that in that policy and that program that we really don't like. Um, let's face it, the California Air Resources Board, if they had their way, there wouldn't be any liquid transportation fuel, it would all be electric vehicles, but they can't have their way because that's not reality. Um, they also sort of have a bias in the way they score the carbon intensity of ethanol from the Midwest compared to sugarcane, ethanol from Brazil, um, compared to electric vehicles in terms of an apples-to-apples comparison with life cycle analysis. So I do want to see the proliferation of clean fuel markets, of more low-carbon fuel markets, but I don't want to see the exact replication of what we see in California. And so actually, ACE has been working very hard with policymakers here in Nebraska, uh, in Minnesota, to try and get some of these new programs Grams and new clean fuel markets stood up in a way that build upon the good stuff out west with California and Oregon and Washington, but, but have a sort of unique Midwest flavor to them as well. So let's reward farmers for these practices that help reduce the carbon intensity, right? Let's enable ethanol producers and farmers to generate some of those carbon credits. I want to see the proliferation of those kinds of programs and market markets, Mike, and I think that can help us influence eventually the
0: conversation that's going to take place in Washington with Congress. Good point. And in Congress in Washington, we did see some movement on biofuels, or at least an investment in biofuels infrastructure as part of this Inflation Reduction Act. Brian, do we know the details as to what Uncle Sam is going to be rolling out for ethanol?
8: We we know most of the details, and of course, we're we're waiting on the House to take up this legislation later today um, and and could send it to the president's desk as soon as today. But um, there's half a billion dollars, Mike, for USDA to provide 75 percent cost share grants um, to entities for E-15 and E-85 infrastructure. Of course, higher biodiesel blends would qualify for that as well. But that's a remarkable amount of money.
0: It is. And when you're talking about infrastructure in this country, context, is it blender pumps and tanks? Is that where most of this could go?
8: You know, it's quite broad. It's blender pumps, it's tanks, but it's it's other storage equipment. I think some um, wholesale operations and some terminals may qualify, <coughs> excuse
0: me, as well. So um, some really important opportunities there. Interesting. Yeah, this has come out and it's interesting to see the Feds looking so closely at biofuels here in 2022. Brian, this Inflation Reduction Act, this additional funds, is it going to do some good 500 million? Is that enough? Oh, half a billion
8: dollars is an incredible amount of money to support E15 and E85. But on top of that, there's billions of dollars for climate-smart agriculture programs within USDA that we can try to leverage. There, There is a new clean fuel production tax credit that ethanol can qualify <clears throat> for starting at 20 cents a gallon and going up to a buck a gallon based on your ability, right, based on your ability to reduce carbon intensity. Now, that's only in place for about three years, but that could— Substantially, you know, provide a shot in the arm. There's a new sustainable aviation fuel tax credit, so I know there's some there are some question marks about this legislation, um, but there are some really positive provisions in there relative to helping position uh, corn ethanol as part of the climate solution and. If Congress passes this thing and and the president signs it into law, it's our job to maximize the opportunities that are possessed within it.
0: Absolutely. Politics is the art of compromise. And if you get something for you in that compromise, maximize it. That's what the ethanol industry will be doing, folks. We've been talking to Brian Jennings here at the American Coalition for Ethanol's annual conference, the 35th annual we've been talking about here in Omaha. Brian, thank you so much for joining us on AOA, and we wish you a successful remainder of the conference. Thank you so much, Mike. And folks, we're going to be talking here in just a minute, looking ahead to the Farm Progress Show with Matt Youngman and Chris Neidert, so stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
3: Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block, to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke.
7: Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed.
0: Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. On the first Wednesday of every month, the National Corn Growers brings us the monthly grind here on AOA, looking at the aspects of corn demand. In August, we talked about the partnership between corn and cattle with Kate Maher of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association
3: we are really fortunate to have a great partnership with the national corn growers association we work together to bring a lot of information to producers latest technology information to make all of us better and and keep that demand keep that product flowing to meet that demand that's, that's around the globe you know we export a lot of corn through beef um that's really important uh we are fortunate again to partner partner with ncga on a series that we've been doing on cattlemen to cattlemen uh we've just got such a great story to tell together started at the seed yard in Nebraska, talking about sustainability practices and in corn production and beef production, and they just go hand in hand. That goes on to the next next step um, where we're producing that really amazing grain-fed beef.
0: Tune in on Wednesday, September 7th for the next edition of the Monthly Grind from our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Well, folks, thanks for making AOA a part of your day today. Of course, a little bit later on this morning, the trade is going to be watching Washington, D.C. very closely to see what numbers get released from the USDA as part of their World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. One of the things the trade is really going to be watching for is whether or not the government's going to make any adjustments to corn yield in this upcoming year. We'll see those statistics. We'll talk about them on Monday here on the program. But if you really want to see the f- some of the first corn in Iowa get harvested, there's one place you need to be, and that's outside Boone, Iowa, August 30th, 31st, and September 1st as the combines start rolling at the Farm Progress Show 2022. I'm very excited AOA will be on location all three days of the Farm Progress Show with our friends from Trelleborg. Joining me today to talk about the Farm Progress Show, which is just around the corner, we've got Matt Youngman from Farm Progress. Matt, how's that corn looking out there in Boone?
9: You know, we have had a really nice hot summer to help crank that corn along. It's, uh, the planting season was a little delayed in central Iowa, so it didn't go in the ground until May 12th and 13th, but uh, we've gotten the heat we needed through the summer, and, and according to the, the GDU accumulation and, and all the projections, we're going to be black layered sometime between the 21st and 25th, and so we ought to be in pretty good shape for some high 20% moisture corn. Uh, the, right there at the end of August and the first day of September.
0: That is going to be fantastic. I the chance to see all of that equipment out there running in the field. And, of course, all of that equipment, if it's going to be running in the field, it has to be running on something. And that's the tires. Tires are a crucial part of every farm operation. and That's Trelleborg's business. Chris at the marketing and training D- director at Trelleborg, joins us today as well. Chris, thanks for joining us. Mike, right, top of the morning to you. Let's talk about what's gonna be on display at the Trelleborg booth, booth 928 at Farm Progress. Chris, I know we're going to have a couple of different products from the Trelleborg family. What are you guys gonna have on hand?
6: Well, Mike, you know, you were just talking about the combines uh, rolling uh, out there at uh, Boone. And we're actually, you know, we've got a huge portfolio of tires, both on the meat toss and the Trelleborg side. But we'll have a couple of combine tires in the booth, along with some other uh, tires. From the Trelleborg side, that's our TM3000 tire. And then the Mitas uh, combine will be the HC3000 tire.
0: And both of those are going to be there. You're going to have folks around who can address the the questions that are coming from folks. But I'm curious, Chris, when we're talking Trelleborg and we've got Trelleborg and Mitas, how do you differentiate the two different families?
6: Well. Mike, we position the Trelloboard product in the ultra premium category. Our our niche, if I would say anything with the Trelloboard product, is the high horsepower, heavy, large tractors. That's where we shine from the Trelleborg brand. The Metas brand, it's in the premium category. It's our everyday, hard working tire for the for the hard working farmer. So. We sell the Trellaborg product through dealers and distributors, and then the Mitas product is sold through distributors
9: only.
0: And you know, it's neat to see those distributors across the country. Matt, we talked about the harvesting displays, the autonomous display, of course, is going to be going on there in Boone at Farm Progress. But there's also the varied industries tent. And it always amazes me when I talk to the folks at the big displays, how many of them started at the VIT? Are you full of uh, VIT spaces for this year?
9: well we certainly are you know we we that that's the place where most of the new folks are and you know people don't necessarily come into the farm progress show for the first time and take a great big outdoor lot they kind of dip their toe in with a 10 by 10 booth in the very industries tent there's probably 150 exhibitors in there and it is completely full and sold out and the other big addition to that tent is the soy-based asphalt under their feet you know we uh, Sometimes that would be a little dusty or a little bit muddy in there, but we worked with Iowa Soybean and Iowa State University. Great support from those guys to get an asphalt surface inside that tent. So it's going to be a much more clean and comfortable place for folks to visit. And, and everybody likes to take a walk through that tent and see who's, who's the new folks and, and catch up with old friends in there as well.
0: Absolutely. I mean, if you want to see what's going to be on a big display in a couple of years, you got to make a pass through the VIT. It'll be great to see that improved traction with that asphalt on the grounds and improved traction. Chris, I've got a feeling that's going to be a theme over at the Trelleborg booth at all. Can you talk to me about inter-lug terracing? Well, Mike, uh,
6: as we talked about the Trelleborg's position and the ultra premium, we've got a few more features and benefits. And I talk about this all the time. It's our interlug terracing, as you just said. I use the term terrace lugs. Its main purpose, uh, Mike, is to keep that tread clean so the end user, the producer, can get that maximum traction, reduce their working time, reduce their fuel consumption, and uh, help reduce their costs.
0: And when you're thinking about reducing, one of the things, particularly if we get a wet fall or like this year when we have a wet spring, is compaction there in the field. Chris, what are you seeing on Trelleborg to help address some of that traction uh, compaction issue?
6: Well, Mike, we also have a nice feature benefit called the wing effect. And what that does, that really greatly expands the footprint of the tire on the ground. When that footprint is bigger... It reduces the ground pressure, which is reduces the soil compaction, improves that crop yield. Also, that bigger footprint, as you just said, it improves the traction. If we're known for anything in the Trelleborg uh, line, it's traction, Mike. It's a beefy tire, and it really, it really grips the ground.
0: Grips the ground, keeps you in place while you're getting that all-important seed right to where it needs to be. Matt, we're going to be in the Trellaborg booth 928 with AOA all three days. Can you tell our listeners, are tickets available right now and where should they go to get them?
9: Absolutely available, Mike. Uh, FarmProgressShow.com has got everything you need. You can uh, link out to visitCentralIowa.com and get your hotel room booked and uh, visit the map and the schedule of events and plan your Plan your couple days there at the Farm Progress Show.
0: Folks, get on there. FarmProgressShow.com. Make your plans and make plans to be in the Trellaborg booth from 9 to 10 a.m. All three days of the Farm Progress Show will be broadcasting live. Our thanks to Chris Neidert and the entire Trelliborg team. Folks, join us on Monday. Mike Adams will be back behind the mic here on AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
4: Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Ironman. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing.
0: The doctor said if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die.
4: Chris received a second chance made possible by an organ donor.
0: Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead.
4: What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.